0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Decision Hour. I am your host, Adam Bird, and let me tell you something, folks. I got a hot one for you today. If you are a business owner, if you're in a management position, if you're in any type of any type of leadership position at all, we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, what can military conflict kind of teach us about leadership and business leadership. So I want everybody to take a second, grab a pen, unless you're driving be safe. And uh, you're, you're going to want to take some notes because the guest that I have for you today uh, to say that he's an expert in this is, is simply an understatement. He's a West Point grad. He's a founder of Strategic Leaders Academy. He's a very recognized and uh, respected combat leader. He defined conventional wisdom in Afghanistan by motivating large insurgent groups to switch sides uh, and it's the only example of such a success in the 20-year history of the war. He's a trusted advisor to three four-star generals and two undersecretaries of defense. Uh, he's the first American to have both fought the Taliban as a commander in combat and to sit down and negotiate with them during peace talks. He holds a Ph.D. in war studies from King's College in London. Uh, he's the author of Zero-Sum Victory, what we're getting wrong about war and leadership the warrior's art folks i'm talking about retired colonel christopher colenda did i say that right sir
1: you got it all right yeah thanks adam that was a very kind <laughs> intro
0: <laughs> welcome to the show sir i'm honored to have you here let's, hey it's
1: an honor to be here
0: let's start off by you know telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself
1: um, well, I was, uh, born and raised in Omaha. I know you got a son at there, Creighton university. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and then I was, uh, I was fortunate, uh, yeah, you know, I got accepted to the, to West Point And I decided that, uh, well, I should go there. Cause if I don't go, I'll always wonder what it was like if I, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and so, so I, I went and, um, went into the army with, uh, I mean, just, um, you know, an open mind and spent twenty four and a half years there. Um, And you mentioned that, you know, I led a task force force about eight hundred paratroopers in eastern Afghanistan in 2007 and 2008. And um, you mentioned that we had managed to motivate a large insurgent group and, and several smaller ones to stop fighting and switch sides. They fought the Taliban to the to the very end. Uh, We also lost six paratroopers there um, in my unit. Uh, Chris Pfeiffer, Adrian Hike, uh, Jacob Lowell, Ryan Fritchie, Dave Boris, and Tom Bostick. So, you know, that was, uh, I mean, amazing, you know, amazing things that our paratroopers did. You know, also just, uh, you know, just a a very tough cost, um, heartbreaking cost. And then I was, uh, you know, asked to help the Obama administration write a new strategy for Afghanistan. And then I was, yeah, you know, senior advisor to McChrystal, Petraeus, Dunford, um, and and I uh, resigned or retired from the army in 2011, so I could be the Secretary of Defense's representative in the in the talks we had with the Taliban in 2011, 2012. So and then I, yeah, resigned from the government, beating my head against the wall for two and a half years said, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the private sector. So I started my own business and I help, you know, I help leaders get more awesome. I help leaders get better um, and I uh, help them inspire people to contribute their best to their, to their team's success.
0: Sir, what do you think the biggest hiccup is for leaders uh, out there today? What, what you, what's, what's the number one thing that you have seen across the board that leaders are, are missing? You're missing the target on something. What's that one thing?
1: Yeah, well, it, it's a lot. I think as Tolstoy said, you know, happy families are uh, happy in the same ways right. and unhappy ones are happy in their <laughs> unhappy in their own ways. <laughs> so you get a lot of that. Um you get a lot of that in leadership. I, I think one of the biggest challenges is and there's been some negative examples in in um recent years that for too many leadership in getting in a position of leadership is, is more about them, um, the money, the power being able to order people around than it is about, about serving. And, you know, the central leadership challenge is how do you inspire people to contribute their best to your, to your team's success. Right. And the leaders who are focused on that, they see leadership as an opportunity to serve people, to uh, help them be the best version of themselves, to help their organizations thrive and grow, are the ones that that tend to do well. And and then we're we're talking about change on the margins um, to help them be even better. The the ones who you know it's all about them and and power and privilege. I, I don't work with those folks. Um, and they're just you know they're just going to drag their they'll, organization they'll down.
0: End up weeding themselves out. Hopefully, eventually, right. Or, yeah, or yeah, if yeah. they're business owners, God forbid, they're if they don't see that, my guess is that they're probably not going to be in business very long.
1: Yeah, and and just the number of sort of shattered lives along the way yeah. is uh, you know is is heartbreaking to me. So uh, to the extent that uh, you know that I can help people um, give them ways to inspire people to contribute their best, I feel good about that.
0: I love it, sir. There's a question here I want to ask you, and you know, you think about leadership and then you think about history, all the great leaders in, in history. And you think of like the Greeks, the Romans, and, and, you know, some of the modern wartime, you know, leaders, what, what have we, what what can we learn about uh, what they've done about leadership and how can we implement that today effectively?
1: Yeah, there are three ways. When when you want to learn about leadership, you got to do it from three perspectives: okay. um, theory, history, and 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 experience. So, theory is about the you know the sort of big ideas about leadership. What is it? What's leadership philosophy? Uh, what is what does it mean? Ancient Greeks and Romans are great about that because they're dealing with us this, this stuff, and, and as they're trying to figure out how do you balance order and freedom. How do you create a society in which people obey laws and and they still have the freedom to to be themselves? I mean, we wrestle with the same stuff today. Um, second is 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 history. Uh, you know, we look at our challenges today: pandemics, wars, uh, political frictions, uh, you know, polarization. And then you look at what Alexander the Great dealt with, yeah. <laughs> he's dealing with the same stuff. So history gives you perspective that you know, these times are not necessarily unprecedented. It's not that history repeats itself, but it rhymes and we can learn from that. And then the third is experience. You got to be in the arena and you've got to talk with other people in the arena and because you got to practice. Uh, you can't just uh you know, you can't just nobody nobody ever learned to be a great leader simply by reading a book or going to a workshop. Right. So you gotta have all three of those. If you have um you know, if you have theory and history and you got no experience, then you're you're existing in the ivory tower where you know you might as well make breakfast with a chocolate frying pan. You know, <laughs> not gonna work. Um second, if you <laughs> if you've got I'm
0: writing that down. if you've
1: got um Theory and experience, but you've got no history, then you're going to lack perspective, and you're going to fall victim to all these different fads. So, in the in the '90s, you had things like uh, the one minute manager, uh, <laughs> management by walking around. I mean, yeah, we we you're like scratch yeah. our heads. It's <laughs> yeah. like really yeah. that was a thing. It's like yeah. yeah, that was a thing, and then it wasn't a thing. Um, and and then if you have if you have history and experience, but you don't have the the big ideas, then you're you're like the person who's playing chess one move at a time you know you're all tactics and no and no strategy and and um and and you're not gonna you're you're gonna get beat by anybody who knows the queen's gambit for instance so so having all three of those is vital and and in fact I, i wrote leadership the warriors are it's got three sections which model those three perspectives
0: and folks and i'm glad you brought that up sir i um If you're listening to this right now, you're already online, so open up another browser and go to strategicleadersacademy.com. You can find both books and order both books from his website uh, there and check that out, and we'll get more into that here in in, in just a bit. You said something here a second ago, sir, and and I kind of want to go back to it. You're talking about history and and having the – the three principles uh, for leadership do you, do you think history was a big thing and and I, I i agree with you wholeheartedly we need to learn from history like you said history doesn't necessarily repeat itself does it change and i i know that's kind of a loaded question in a sense of no of course it's already happened you can't go to the past but i feel like in today's society some things are being shown like, well, this is what happened in history. And if we don't learn from it, it could repeat itself or something, God forbid is worse, um, could, could happen. Do you see leaders today really learning from our, our history?
1: Some do, some do. And they, and they benefit from it because they, they get perspective. They don't panic when something bad happens and they say, you know what? Uh, People have dealt with this kind of stuff before. So let's see what principles worked for them and how do we apply this to our context? So I think history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes. And so what, what principles did they, what, how did they behave and what worked for them? What didn't work for them? What can we take from that and apply today? Yeah. That's what's so, so important. And, and then the neat thing about military history and, and political, about history in general, right. is we got the written records. I mean, we know, <laughs> we know right. um, what people said, what people did. Right. And we we also know the effects. So uh, I know history is very complicated and, and there are many points of view. Um, we. But we know these things and we know the aftermath. And so that is our best leadership laboratory. I
0: love that. I love that. I want to stick kind of like in the military side of this here for for just a minute. Um, When it comes to what are some of the decision making errors that that keep leading America into. I'm going to I'm going to say conflicts.
1: Well, I, I wrote this book, Zero-Sum Victory, What We're Getting Wrong About War, which tackles that, ver- that very question. And what I wanted to look at, and this was something as, as I went through the wars in Afghanistan from all those different perspectives, I I had the chance to go to King's College in London, and they said, we want to bring a practitioner on the faculty. If you come, we'll waive the tuition on a PhD. It's like, all right, because... I jumped at that chance. Yeah. It's not no only because like I love people. teaching. Yeah. And you know, I'm <laughs> going to London. Um, but it also allowed me to I mean, try to make sense of, you know, why is it that we the the world's most powerful country with the world's most capable military keeps getting into these quagmires. Yeah. Can't seem to beat these ragtag militant groups, whether it's the Viet Cong or uh, you know, Iraqi insurgents or, or the Taliban? What, what is it? What's going on here? And, and when we look at our track record since Vietnam, it, it ain't great. Um, we've had kind of one fiasco after another. And so I wanted to look at what are the common mistakes, the unforced errors that we make ourselves, strategy and policy-wise, and what can we learn from it? Um, Our our troops do what we ask them to do, what leaders ask them to do. Um, and, And they do it to a very, very high standard. As leaders, and I'm talking at the policy strategy level, we're often not asking them to do the right things. And of course, they can't succeed alone. Right. So in these kind of these kind of insurgencies whether it's Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, it really, it turns on this question of political legitimacy mm. of the host nation government. And you, know, you can't outsource legitimacy. You, we can't legitimize. I used to hear this term all the time. We've got to legitimize the Afghan government. We can't do that. Right. They
0: have to earn it. Right.
1: Um, and, and I think this this is where another place where military history and, and leadership in, in the business intersect. In the Afghan government, for instance, and the Iraqi government, and the South Vietnamese government—they never bothered to gain the buy-in of their oh, people. They they exploited them. You know, they all became corrupt and kleptocratic in different ways. Kleptocracy means government of thieves. You know, from the ancient Greek, they became kleptocratic in different ways, and they never gave, bothered to gain the buy-in from the people. And and so, at the end of the day, people just voted with their feet. You know, and and i mean heartbreakingly in afghanistan just a year ago a little over a year ago people voted with their feet to select the taliban as the lesser of two evils i mean just just wrap your mind around that for just I, a minute.
0: it's it i'm i have to interject here sir because it it you you bring that up i wasn't a, an afghan guy i was i was an iraq guy and and i saw it had plenty of friends over there um and and you think after 20 years 20 years ago, we we're fighting the Taliban to get them out of Afghanistan. 20 years later, we get out of Afghanistan and it's taken over by the Taliban. And and and, and I know those there's a lot of military people that that listen to this podcast and, and I know that's and I'm sorry, but it's it's got it we still have to talk about this because it's something that like you said, it's been a year yeah. now, a year. And it blows my mind that 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 it happened that way
1: yeah i mean it's i mean it's just uh you know i i felt uh, you know we probably felt the same emotions looking at it. i mean just uh you know the 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 uh the anger yeah you know at seeing this all fall down like a house of cards the um disgust that Afghan senior leaders just seem to take the money and run and uh, while the, everything's collapsing around them. Um, you know, the the frustration that it's like, why is it? we Why do we keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? Why, why is it that that we continue to get into these quagmires? What are we doing wrong? What What can we do to reduce the number of unforced errors. And, and so that's why I wrote the book is because we, we need some, this is not okay. 20 year quagmires, 10 year quagmires, seven year quagmires, not okay. Two or $4 trillion just in the post 9-11 wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, $4 trillion, over 7,000 service members, American service members killed in action, tens of thousands with wounds seen and unseen. Um, is not okay. And, and there needs to be some serious national security reform. And that's, that's why I wrote the book and I made some recommendations of what we can do, some common sense ways to, to get better.
0: See, I like that you use the, the phrase common sense. Cause it seems like as a society, we're lacking a lot of that over the last few years. So I appreciate you saying that. sir. <laughs> <laughs> I really do.
1: Common sense. Never so common.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> Um there there's when you're overseas though and, and you know we're talking about these these quagmires as as you you put it you hear generals and ambassadors say, "Well, we're, we're making progress," but like you said with Afghanistan or we use that as an example, did we did we fail there? And and if so, why are we hearing people saying, "Oh, we're making progress here. Or we're making progress there," but yet it it seems like the end result is is still the same.
1: Yeah, this is a it's a another great example of where military history business intersect. Yes, um, you know that you and and it's it's the problem of bureaucratic silos, organizational silos. <laughs> right, and you know you've got a problem with organizational silos when everybody, the people in charge of each individual silo, are saying how awesome they are and what great progress they're making, but. Things overall are not getting better, um, and in, in case of Afghanistan, Iraq, they're they're getting worse. So everybody's talking about progress in their own bureaucratic silos: know, military silo, the political silo, the uh, aid and development silo, the intel silo. Everybody's making great progress, but things are spiraling downhill. It's the same in, in a in a business where marketing is saying we're making awesome progress we're getting more likes and 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 the sales people are saying we're making great progress because we're making more connections and and uh and bigger sales the operations people are like we're making great progress too because we're cranking out more products and yet the company's losing money right <laughs> you know um it, when you look at the 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 financial crisis in 2008 oh yeah it was it was it was the same financial silos and so when when you look at our wars there's nobody in charge of our wars when you get on the ground yeah. i mean nobody below the president of the united states right. so when you get on the ground in theater yeah. you've got you've got the general yeah. and you might have many military flavors uh that, that don't always work for the you know for the for the four star general or whatever right. But they report directly up that military silo to the secretary of defense. Then you've got your your State Department silo. People who are training, working with the host nation government, they report directly up their state silo to the secretary. You've got your aid and development silo that reports straight up to Washington, D.C. And then you've got your different intel flavors. And they've got their silos yeah. and they all point straight to Washington, D.C. There's nobody overall in charge on the ground that is setting priorities that's making people work together. And so all of the problems are falling through the cracks between the silos. When you look at the Afghanistan meltdown last year, DOD had its own plan. Yep, We need speed and security. We're going to get people out as fast as we can. State had their own plan have this evacuation go as slow as possible because we don't want uh we don't want to create panic. And then the whole thing just you collapsed. Know, everything fell through the cracks between those two siloed plans. No communication. Right. And and so when you have nobody in charge who can make decisions, who can set priorities, who can tell people you are the main effort, you are the supporting efforts um you're not just going to optimize in your own silo you are going to support the um you know the objectives that we've got then you're going to if you don't have that person in charge you're you're going to have these silo problems and and that was a it was it was one of the things that's been killing us in these conflicts
0: lack of communication in between silos i i that's yeah in, in communication i think of those of you that are in business need to know as a business owner myself, that that was one of the key things that I talk about. Anytime I bring on a new employee, it, it's always, you know, I I kind of test them. What's the most important thing that you can get out of this? And, and I'm hoping that they say communication and I let them know, mm. you know, when I'm, when I'm asked, I give them a time that was like, what, what do you want from us? Communication. I, my phone's always on. You can shoot me a text, whatever. Like communication is key because if you have a lack of communication, that's how things start falling stay through the through the cracks or in between the silos. Um, so I think communication is, is is huge. Sir, for for leaders and business owners that are out there right now, what's what's the one thing that sabotages? How do they sabotage their organization?
1: Uh, well, I, I'd say there's the three ways. Okay. Uh, the, the first one is you can't order Amazon or you can't order buy-in from Amazon. You've got to earn
0: it. <laughs> it's it's um, not for sale, huh? Okay, <laughs> It's
1: not for sale. You know, you've got, you've got to earn it. Um, people need to know what they're buying into. You yeah. need, you need clarity. Um, people know what they're buying into. People have to see themselves as better off by buying into it. Right. And uh, there's got to be accountability. Got to be consequences. Um, so, so that's number one: okay. is uh, too many people take buy-in for granted, and when they do so, people vote with their feet um, out of your company, um, and uh, and it inhibits your ability to grow. The second one is complacency. So complacency is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results. Because when you are just simply content with the status quo and your competitors are innovating, then you're going to fall further and further behind. So you've got to be constantly innovating and innovating along the three P's, people, products, processes. Um, And you don't necessarily innovate on all three of those at once. You don't have to, but you constantly look at how, how can, how can I, how can we get people to contribute their, their best? Um, Are we putting the right cheeks in the right seats, so to speak, where they are um, in position where they're using their superpowers? Um, What are the processes that we're using? Can we get them more efficient and more effective? Um, And then, um, what, what are our customer, what are they, where are our customers looking for from us? And how do we, how do we get that to them? Um, let me interrupt you real quick. When
0: you say mm-hmm. customers, are you talking about customers outside of the organization or do you include, like, I would assume in a leadership position, you have to look at the, your down channel, the people that work for you right? also as customers for you as well. Correct.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really important point because they have to be really proud of what they're what they're doing and what they're a part of. If they're going to contribute their best, they got to be proud of that. Um, yeah.
0: So, how does a leader come in? Let's say you got a new leader, and I'm, I'm I guess I'm kind of throwing my son indirectly under the bus here with this, but uh, you have a new leader that's coming in, taking a, a leadership position. How do they inspire their 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 troop, their people. How do how do they motivate them, inspire them, and push them in the right direction? So, and help them see the bigger picture of the team's success.
1: Yep. Um, so I'm going to answer that right after I answered the number yes. three. Okay. Number three problem, uh, consistent problem, is freebasing your own gunpowder, breathing your own exhaust, believing your own propaganda. That's all freebasing your own gunpowder. And a lot of times leaders will, I mean, they will fall in love with their own plans, they'll fall in love with their own ideas, and they don't have people around them who are going to tell them the truth. They don't have people around them who are going to give them unfettered advice. And their direct reports, I mean, are going to be great people, most likely. Uh, They have a vested interest in either advancing a, a certain point of view or telling you what you want to hear. So having having trusted advisors that help you give you perspective, help, help you see the things that you're not seeing is really important to avoid free basing your own gunpowder. Um, so that, that, that was number three. Now, um, now to, to get yeah. to your question about, I think the number one thing that leaders, we look for in leaders is that they are that they are worthy of trust. And and the best way to show that you're worthy of trust is to be an exemplar, exemplify, model the values that and the behaviors and the standards that you expect of everybody. Right. You know, when you go to a when you go to a, a Civil War battlefield, for instance, you'll see leaders on horseback. And do you know what the, the, which military rank had the highest casualty rate in the Civil War? I don't. Brigadier General. Because they're the ones on horseback. And the reason why they're on horseback is not because they're privileged or because they're lazy. Part of it is because they can see a little bit better. But mostly it's they're the exemplar and they're saying, if I can stand my ground and do my job, well, everybody's shooting at me. I am the most exposed person on the battlefield. I can do my job. Wow. Everybody else can stand in the ranks. In ancient war, you had like the hoplites and the, you know, these, uh, these phalanxes. The leader was at the right front, not in the back, at the right front. And it's because when you had a shield wall, everybody's your shield is in your left hand. You're protecting the person to your left. Right. And, but if you're on the front, right. There, there's no, nobody else's shields protecting you. Right. You are the most exposed person. And you do that because you're saying, I'm setting the example. I'm standing my ground. I'm fighting. And if I can do this exposed, you can do it. You can do it as well. You can do it just like me. So, so being an exemplar is is absolutely vital um and then second is is be comfortable in your own skin you know be you know self aware of you know, both authentic to yourself know your superpowers um don't try to be somebody that you're not and um and understand how other people perceive you um and it's not that it's a popularity contest but other people are going to perceive you in certain ways and that is going to help you understand how to um, how to connect with them, um, how to maybe change things that make perfect sense to you, uh, but aren't quite making sense to the people that you're serving. So those are a couple of ways to to gain that that credibility right away.
0: That's great advice, sir. I love that. Folks, again, if you're listening, open up another browser. Excuse me open up another browser go to uh strategic leadership or excuse me strategic leaders academy.com um, let's talk about that for a second sir mm-hmm. um, what you you mentioned it briefly in the beginning of the show that you got out of doing the government stuff and, and you started this you're working with business leaders so you work with any business leader, or is there certain people that you're looking for right now? And I'm I'm asking this because I know there's somebody out there that's listening to this right now. Right. Is the easiest way to get a hold of you is through the website. How can they get if they want to work with you? What What can they expect, and how can they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, the easiest way is just go go on the website. You okay. can get a hold of me by my email, chris at strategicleadersacademy.com. Um, you know, I I work with leaders who want to get better and i love working with the aaron rodgers level leaders you know go pack go aaron rodgers level leaders because you know the the change is 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 small you're talking about you're talking about going from uh you're talking about a change of maybe like 1% or half a percent but you know that's huge when when you're at the top of your game like aaron rodgers patrick mahomes or whatever um you're not talking about huge changes you're talking about those subtle changes that help you win. And those are the kind of leaders I love to work with.
0: Awesome. I love that. So listen, if you guys are out there listening to this right now, and you're one of those, or you want to be a leader, maybe you're a newer leader in your field, go to the website, get a hold of them. You'll be happy that you did. And while you're there, order his books. You can get both of them on his website. Zero sum victory. Uh, what we're getting wrong about war. I highly recommend that because uh, that's yeah. I can't wait to dig into that one. And I started reading uh, "Leadership: The Warrior's Art," and I I think if if you are like um if you're if you're taking a business class or in, in, this this should be
1: uh,
0: this should be on every reading book across every college campus in America right now. This should be mandatory reading. Um, this is great. And I'm going to uh, getting another one of those and sending that to uh, some newer cadets, I think uh, this year as well.
1: Awesome. Uh, um, Yeah. And on our, on our website, there's, you can go to, you can hit quizzes under resources, hit quizzes. And we have a leader quiz that helps you, identify your leadership superpowers. So people are pioneers, reconcilers, operators, or mavericks. So we call them the prom archetypes. And it it's it's part of the self-awareness where you can, based on how you respond to the questions, it's like, all right, well, this is, you know, you're kind of one of these four leaders and these are probably your you know, the superpowers and you want to put yourself in a position where you're using those superpowers every day. I mean, people who are using their natural talents every day are like, I don't know, a thousand times more productive than people who aren't using their natural talents and just feel like, you know, they're just getting ground off every day. So knowing your leader archetype, knowing your, your employee's leader archetype, will help you put them in positions to succeed, help you put the right cheeks in the right seats. I
0: love love that. I love the Cheeks in the right seats. Sir, I got another question for you. You're on a show called The Decision Hour, and, and we make decisions every day. Name a time in your life where the feet were on the line and you had to make that decision. What was it, and what was the atmosphere like for you at the time?
1: Um, oh, there there are a lot of those, especially in, of course, in Afghanistan and in in combat, and um, one of one of them that comes to mind, you know, and and these decisions all had life and death consequences. One of the decisions that comes to mind is uh, we were ge- oh, we were getting so here's one we were getting rocketed. Rocket attacks. Oh, it's getting so annoying. Couple several times a month, get these rockets, hundred seven millimeter rockets. You know, they can shoot shrapnel. You know, across a football field. And uh, we'd be getting these from the east side of the Kunar River, one of these deep mountain valleys. And and a couple of our guys have gotten wounded uh, from these. I mean, they're notoriously inaccurate, but every once in a while, one's getting hit. Right, it's just the law of averages. And it, you know, I mean, I was getting pretty fired up about this. And so gathered the the brain trust together and said, all right, you know, this is not acceptable. This is not okay. What do we do about it? You know, let's figure out what we're going to do about it. And, you know, the standard response would have been, well, let's let's do a cordon and search, you know, through the valley and and um, and then find these rocket caches and. You know, get everybody with with gunpowder on their fingerprints and throw them in jail. OK, um, what what other ideas do we have? And and my Afghan army counterpart, this guy was great. A guy named Shiramad, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, he says, he says, why don't we go talk to him? I don't think anybody's ever talked to him. And I was like, yeah, I like that. And there's only one problem. Our vehicles couldn't get across the little, little narrow bridge. And so we'd have to air assault in. And then, of course, that's going to get it, you know, people all, they're going to think an attack's coming. He's like, I, I can, and this is when, this is 2007, the Afghan army wasn't doing anything by itself. And he said, we can do this on our own. My vehicles can fit across the bridge. We'll go up there. We'll talk to them, see what's going on. Come back. I was like, all right. I like that. Uh, so we, you know, we put some overhead. You know, Eric right. overhead and stuff like that, in case uh, things got things got ugly, and 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 so he he goes and he leaves and he comes back at the end of the day. I mean, he's gone like you know ten hours, and I said, "Would you? Would you? So, what'd you learn?" And he says, "Yeah, they're the ones shoot rockets at you, or they're letting people shoot rockets at you." And I'm like, "All right, well, you know, it's good to know. Um, why? What's eating them? Why are they shooting rockets at us?" He said, well, a, a few years ago, um, some American special forces and Afghan militia came and did night raids in their village. And they disrespected the elders. They um, disrespected the women and allegedly stole some jewelry. And so this is this is retribution. This is retribution. That's why the shooting rockets at you. I'm like, all right, well, I can. I guess I can. I can get that. Um, what else did you find out? He said, "They want their kids to go to school." And I said, "Yeah, tell me about that." He said, "Yeah, they. You know, they. They got like three hundred kids, <clears throat> boys and girls, and the girls go in the morning, the boys go in the afternoon. They. They don't have a school building. They just have this like three-walled, three walls. There's not even a roof." just three walls and all the kids, you know, kind of pack in there. There's one chalkboard, little chalkboard. And like they use the right. You know, limestone or whatever stone there was that they would use on the chalkboard. The rest of the kids write their numbers and letters and dirt on a stick. So they really want to school because they see what's happened last, you know, at that point, 20, you know, some odd years of, uh, you know, just not being able to get the kids to school. So we've been we've been collecting school supplies because I, I think one of the things that brings people together is we all want what's best for our kids. It yeah. doesn't matter what your politics are, what your religion is, what country you're from. We all want what's best for our kids. Yeah. So when people say, what can we send? I said, don't send us candy. Send us notebooks and pens. We can do some good with that. And, and so they did. And we had like a container full of stuff. And I asked Shereman, I said, would you be willing to go back there? And he said, oh yeah, they're, they're really nice people. Um, and I said, okay. So he went, he goes back a couple of days later. We load his trucks up with these notebooks and pens. Off he goes, comes back like 10 hours later. He had the best time. And he said, they, they really appreciate the notebooks and pens. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we did something to, to start to build a bridge. Maybe we did something, you know, because you're going to get a lot more progress building bridges than you do digging trenches. And I didn't know what to expect. Um, the next morning, the front gate calls, Sir, sir, you know, there's a bunch of elders here to see you. It's like, what? I wasn't expecting anybody. Where, where are they from? So, well, they're from this village. And I was like, Well, yeah, bring them in. So me and uh, one of my troop commanders, Nate Springer and, and uh, Shir Ahmad, were were there and, and greet them as they came in and introduced ourselves and got to the head elder. And, uh, you know, he hands me the stack of paper. And I said, you yeah, know, what, what, what's this? He said, these are thank you notes written by oh. our children in the notebooks and pens that you gave them. And he says, there would have been more of them but most of them didn't think their handwriting was good enough for you. And it's like, you know, your heart like totally melts at that oh. point, you know, and and I mean, they were very emotional about it. Um and and so were we and 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 we sat down and I mean, spoke the rest of the day. We, you know, fed them and everything and and um eventually worked with the NGO that put a school there that they defended against Taliban attacks. It's still working, running to this day. Uh never had another rocket attack from that area.
0: That is, I've, <laughs> sir, I've been doing this, this show for quite a few years, had a lot of guests on, and that there has got to be the coolest decision hour moment we've had on the show. <laughs> that gave me goosebumps when when you were sharing that. Thank you for, for sharing that, and thank you for your service, <laughs> sir, and uh, I appreciate your time coming on the decision hour in uh, sharing everything with our listeners today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Is there is there time to talk about the honor ride?
0: Yes, there is. I wish you would.
1: Okay. Um, I, I appreciate that. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I was, um yeah, you know, six of our paratroopers are killed in action in Afghanistan. I mentioned their names. Um, and we're coming kind of up on the 15 year anniversary of, of, uh, of that deployment. And, I thought, I, yeah, I want to do something special to just commemorate their service and, and, and sacrifice. Um, and uh, so it's like, I'm going to visit their graves. I could drive. I could drive. You know, they're, they're spread across from Nebraska all the way east to Arlington National Cemetery. About 1,700 miles. And it's like, well, I could drive, but that would be kind of lame. You know, I could walk the distance. Um, but that just, that's just going to take me way too long. Um, I know what I can do. I can pedal a bike. Um, the only problem is I had ridden a bike in 20 years. I didn't own a bike. Hadn't ridden one in 20 years. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to go out and buy a nice road bike. I'm going to hire a cycling coach for the account of, and, and, you know, because I believe in coaching. Yeah. And I'm going to start telling people so I don't chicken out. So the accountability. So this was uh this was like 15 months ago. And uh, you know, now I'm getting ready to start it uh next, you know, in September of this year. Um and then, you know, I also decided, you know, what probably we can do some good with this. Um, I was uh I mentioned when I was pedaling this morning, you know, training, I was listening to your interview with Betsy Ross. I thought it was just wonderful. I can't wait to read her books um that was i encourage all of your listeners to listen to that interview and she talks a lot about what veterans go through what people go through in their transition out of the military and this sort of loss of you know this this purpose and belonging that um you know we kind of take for granted in the military until it's gone yeah um and then it's it's hard to recover that um and, and I think this is part of the explanation for why you know, we had 7,000 Americans killed in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Over 30,000 post-9-11 veterans have died by suicide. Within my own unit, people, uh, we've lost more to death by suicide and substance abuse than we did to killed in action. Um, and, and part of what happens is, is happiness goes on a U, according to a bunch of studies. You know, the tops of the U on one side is like age 20, early twenties, mid sixties on the other is the top of the uh, top of the U. The bottom of the U is age 47.2 to be very specific. And so, you know, 15 years ago, when most of our, our folks are 18 to sort of 28 years old, Um, They're at the top of the happiness curve, and they've got this tremendous sense of purpose. I'm fighting for my country. I'm defending my country. This extraordinary sense of belonging, like the person on my left and the person on my right's got my back, and I got their back. And and oh by the way, I've got an entire country supporting me. And then a few years later, you leave that. And you sort of lose that sense of purpose. You don't have that sense of belonging. You know, you, you're out there in the civilian world and and you're like, know, yeah, nobody gets me. Nobody's nobody's got me. Nobody's got my back. And nobody knows how to help me. And I thought Betsy's interview there just was 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 so spot on on this. And so, at the same time, you have these feelings just sliding down the happiness curve. This population, our 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 the paratroopers who were with me in two thousand seven and eight. I mean, they're average age thirty five to forty five right now. You know, and 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 for some, that U has been pretty shallow. You know, they're able to find new purpose and belonging right away. Want to help them soar to new heights? Um, for others, that U is a bit more pronounced, and. You know, you have, um, a lot of, uh, sort of career pinballing where you don't quite know where you fit you got broken relationships, your classic sort of midlife crisis. Um, and, and then you've got some, you've got people who've gone that, that use pretty steep and they've gone into a dark place. Um, one of our, you know, one of our guys who was in a big firefight, he was, uh, he was shot in that firefight. Can't believe he lived um basically he had a neck wound shot through the neck he recovers he comes back this guy came back for the last we had a 15 month deployment he came back for the last 3 months of the deployment unbelievable um i mean just a just a, a champ yeah um and you know, he gets out and and it's just you know it's the same story it's like nobody gets me you know, I don't feel like I fit anywhere. Um, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't know what my natural talents are and how to use them. So I'm bouncing back and forth between jobs and just never finds a fit. And finally just says, screw it. Um, and, and, you know, sits in his, uh, apartment and drinks all day. And another guy, one of our top NCOs, I mean, oh man, this guy was extraordinary. um, He, uh, everybody knew he was going to be a command sergeant major. I mean, you know, top 1% kind of leader. I mean, just, just extraordinary. Um, he now lives in a dumpster at, in, uh, outside of a city library in Northern California as a meth addict, you know, and I, I can't, I can't know this is happening and not try to do something about it. Uh, so that's why we created the Sabre Six Foundation. So it's kind of named for our six fallen heroes. It was also our call sign in Afghanistan, uh, Task Force Sabre. And um, so the Sabre Six Foundation is designed to help, you know, our veterans and their families. Um, you know, build new dreams. I mean, if you think your best days are in the rear view mirror and you're like, there's, you know, it's all drudgery in front of me. And, you know, I don't feel like my life is worth living. I mean, then you're going to make those dark choices. Um, but if you believe your best days are ahead, that you just love looking through the windshield because you've got, you know, you've got something that you want to achieve. It's a whole different ball game. And that's, that's, what we want to, that's what we want to accomplish. So, uh, so that's what the honor ride, 1700 mile fallen hero honor ride is all about um, honoring the dead by visiting their graves and then serving the living. Um so that they can uh, survive and, and thrive,
0: we're gonna make sure, sir, that we have all of that information on there. Are you gonna be you. documenting this as you're riding through like social media and stuff? Or are we, like, yeah, are we yeah yeah. People so we've be got able a, to follow your journey.
1: Absolutely, um, and and uh, yes. Uh, so I've got a Facebook page, Fallen Hero on a Ride. Just look up Fallen Hero on a Ride. Boom, that's our Facebook page. You can go to honorride.us. Uh, website and it'll get you to our, you know, our, uh, you know, foundation. So that's honoride.us, not .com um, or saber6foundation.com. And yeah, you can, you can follow the ride. Uh, You know, there are ways to, you know, ways to, to various ways to support us. And um, we're going to start on September 25th, which is the 25th or the 15th anniversary of when Chris Pfeiffer died of wounds, so we're going to start at his gravesite in Spalding, Nebraska, and um, you know his his parents, Mike and Dar, will be there. Um, his uh, his widow, Karen, will be there, and his daughter, Peyton, uh, who was born two days after Chris died of wounds, uh, so she'll be there too. Um, never met her dad, and um, you know we're we're going to start right there on that date, and then uh, end up on. Arlington National Cemetery on October twenty second.
0: I'm writing this down because uh, I'd like to greet you and meet you as you're riding in on October twenty second. Awesome in Arlington. So uh, I'm going to hold myself accountable right now, and I'm I'm putting this out literally to the world right now that uh, on October twenty second, sir. I'll be meeting you and shaking. Yeah, we'll ride
1: in together. It'd be right. awesome.
0: So, um, sir, again, thank you for your time, folks. We'll make sure we have all of this information will be on the show notes. Um, uh, you'll see in the, uh, show description underneath, sir. That's all the time that we have right now. Um, thank you again. Appreciate you. And,
1: uh, I appreciate you and what you're doing for, for, um, veterans for what you're doing for all of us to, you know, help people, help people transition effectively, help people get better.
0: Well, Thank Love you, that. sir. It's it, it truly is an honor. And I will be seeing you on October 22nd.
1: All right. I'm counting on it.
0: Folks, that's all the time that we have before we let you go. Make sure you check out our parent network, Heroes Media Group. Simply go to heroesmediagroup.com. Check out all the shows, events, and uh, articles that are going on there. If you're looking to become part of the Heroes Media Group network, Send us an email, info at Heroes Media Group, and uh, someone will reach out to you. Until next time, you've been listening to The Decision Hour.